Last week we, we looked at sort of uh, the, the end part of the 11th chapter of Romans that looks forward to that day when all the Gentiles are gathered in, the ship is full, so to speak, and there's this marvelous spiritual awakening of the nation of Israel. And all Israel ultimately, uh, Paul said in that passage of Scripture, is saved. But they will be saved only because of God's mercy. Mercy shown to them, mercy shown to you, mercy shown to me. Paul says in Romans 11.32, that's where we'll start out today as we move toward chapter 12, looking at the first two verses of chapter 12, which basically will tell us how to respond to God's mercy. But first, we've got to say why he talks about the mercies of God. He talks about the mercies of God because he says in verse 32, for God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. In other words, by the way, disobedience means obstinate opposition to the will of God. That's what that Greek word means, obstinate opposition to the will of God. The Jews were in obstinate opposition to the will of God, and so is everybody else. And the only way any of us are going to be saved is by God's mercy. So that prompts Paul to go on to say in verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. How inscrutable are his ways. Paul is absolutely overwhelmed by God's mercy. God's mercy has caught him up, brought him into the faith, is bringing others into the faith. He realizes that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but he also realizes that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that brings Paul to that, that next passage uh, where he just praises God. He says in verse 34, For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. He was overwhelmed by God's mercy, which prompted him to say in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and now we're there to see what we're going to look at this week. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so this morning we look at the believer's response to God's mercy, my response and your response. You see, truthfully, if we have to be honest, we are so broken, you are and I am, so sinful, having been proved to be so disobedient to the will of God, that without God's mercy, without and the mercy of God means his pity, his compassion, undeserved, of course, without God stooping to bless us and stooping to help us, there would be no hope for any of us 
No hope for anyone, no matter who they were, without the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a gift that God has given us that can never be repaid. And so on the basis of that, God looks for a response from us, a worthy response. Let's just suppose you were getting married and you say uh, you love the person you're about to marry and the person you're about to marry says they love you, but then you go to that person and say, when, you, when we get married, will you adjust your life to be faithful to me? When we get married, will you adjust your life to love me and only me? When we get married, will you adjust your checkbook so that it's not your money and my money, but our money? Do you commit yourself to me as I commit myself to you for a lifetime? Would you say those were fair questions? Well, suppose the other person doesn't think so, and they say, I don't like this whole idea of commitment. I want to be free to do as I do. I want to spend my money like I want to spend my money. I want to be with who I want to be with. I want to be committed to you when I want to be committed to you, but I want to be free of that commitment when I want to, and I want to be able to live as I please. Would you marry that person? Should you marry that person? Well, Paul is making a similar plea here. He's making a plea for commitment. He's making a plea that you would adjust your life to God and that I would adjust my life to God in a way that becomes an appropriate response to God's mercy. And so he calls here for a threefold commitment of the believer to God. I'm going to show you three very simple things that you already see here and that you already know. First, on the basis of God's mercy, Paul asks us to present our bodies to God. In other words, that we need to give God a sacrificed life. That's number one, a sacrificed life. The word present is a word that pictures leading the sacrificial animal to the altar and leaving it there. Some translations choose to use the word offer yourselves to get that across. It is an offering that's being made. In the message translation, it reads, Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around that walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. In the Old Testament, the animal was offered as a burnt offering. It was brought there, sacrificed, and consumed in an offering to God. I found out this week I didn't know. I, I've lived all these years, and I did not know that the Greek word used in the New Testament for burnt offering is also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that Paul often quoted from in the book of Romans. The Greek word for burnt offering is holocaustus. Holocaustus. That word didn't just appear in history for no reason. It appeared because it was a biblical concept. The biblical concept of sacrifice. The Hebrew word, by the way, is hola, the first part of that. And it means that which rises toward heaven. Can you imagine? Thinking about that, I was uh, caused to remember Amy Carmichael, a young Irish woman who at an early age, uh, God planted in her heart a desire to serve the poor 
and to take the gospel to the poor, which eventually resulted in Amy Carmichael becoming a missionary to India in the early part of the 20th century. She spent her time trying to rescue little Indian girls from human trafficking. The parents uh, in that culture would often, the parent or guardian would take their child and offer them uh, to, and leave them at the temple to be a temple child and the, and the, and the child would be subject to moral and, and spiritual corruption. And so it was her mission to rescue and raise this, these children and as a result, the Donovore Fellowship, that's where she was serving in Donovore, India. The Donovore Fellowship was started in 1927 and she made it her goal to teach these little children about the love of God to tell them that God loved them whether they were rich or poor and that God's love wasn't determined by what caste you were in. In India, people were, were, were on, a, on a level of importance. You know, their religion is based on that, that you can just rise higher and higher. And the higher you rise, the closer you get to God. But God loves all people, she told them. Jesus loves everybody. He sent his son to die on the cross to show them that love. Amy Carmichael wrote a poem called The Flame of God that reminds me of this sacrifice that God calls for from us. I want to read it to you. She said, From prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self O captain free, thy soldier who would follow thee. From subtle love of softening things, from easy choices, weakenings, not thus are spirits fortified, not this way went the crucified. From all that dims thy calvary, O Lamb of God, deliver me. Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. In other words, she said, as we have sung, you've heard it sung in the past, I'm sure in this church, she wanted to be broken and spilled out and used up and consumed as a sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Paul is calling for here. The appropriate response to God's mercy, your response, my response, is to offer my life as a living sacrifice. But that offering must be holy and acceptable because Paul said that is worship. He said that is your spiritual worship. Now, worship isn't singing along. If, in fact, if I'm not obedient to these Words in Romans, if I've not presented my life in that way to God, I'm not worshiping at all. I may sing a song that makes me feel warmed and moved, but without such a surrender and the sacrifice of my life, it is not worship. This is your spiritual worship to present your body as a living sacrifice, to say, as Amy Carmichael did, make me thy fuel, O flame of God. So number one, is a sacrificed life. Number two is a submitted mind. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Do you realize that 
there's never been a time in our lives in the history of our world as we know it when there has been a push toward conformity like there is today. Every person is called to bow to the latest ideology even if it conflicts with their faith. It feels like the days of Daniel when they would play the instruments and they would and the idol would pass by and all the people were caused to bow and of course some people didn't. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't bow and they were cast into the fiery furnace. Daniel wouldn't conform to the culture. He kept his windows open toward Jerusalem and he continued to pray and caused him to be cast into the lion's den. But today the culture is bowing, the schools are bowing, and pretty soon you'll see them asking the church to bow. But here Paul says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't adjust your life to the world's pattern. You've heard people say today, what you need to do, you need to walk in step with history so that you don't live on the wrong side of history. You need to know that popular culture in every age has always been aligned against God. Now in this country in the past, it's always been uh, sort of a secret alignment against God. They did it secretly because they knew it was wrong. Everything around them told them it was wrong. Their conscience told them it was wrong. They were told in church it was wrong. They were told it was wrong in school. If they read the Bible, uh, they hid their wrong. And I'm not talking about one kind of wrong. I'm talking about every kind of wrong. All the things you see today uh, in our society, the parading of wrong that you see on your television in school, it was always there, but it was always hidden, always in the closet. But today, but today it's, come, it's become popular so much so that if you oppose wrong, you are told that you are on the wrong side of history. Well, I want to remind you that Daniel was on the wrong side of history. Already his country had been toppled and he was a prisoner of war. That's how he wound up in Babylon. He was on the wrong side of history. Jesus was on the wrong side of history. That's why he was crucified. The Christians in Rome in the first century were on the wrong side of history. That's why they were tarred and feathered and lined up along the streets of Rome at night and burned to light the streets of Rome. But all of those people were on the right side of God. As a Christian, you'll always be on the wrong side of the culture. Don't be conformed to this world. Don't adjust your life to fit the world's pattern. Paul says instead, you're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, just yesterday, my wife and I went to Hattiesburg and, and we were just looking around at some things and we talked to this 22-year-old fellow and he impressed me. Uh, we talked to him a little bit. I, we, we just were getting to know each other. And uh, I asked him a little bit about football, and he said, uh, I don't watch TV. He said, I work 12 hours a day. That's pretty interesting for a 22-year-old boy, 22-year-old man, I guess I should say. He said, I work 12 hours a day. And he said, and he was at work when we were talking to him, by the way. And he said, and when I go home, I don't watch television. He said, I try not to let my mind get distracted and drawn away. I, I don't want to be influenced. So what I do is I get my Bible and I have my quiet time. And I try to spend some time apart and keep my mind on the Lord. Now that was an interesting conversation I had with that young man. 
that sort of came out of the blue. I didn't expect to hear that out of him. But I was impressed with him. Here was a young man who understood what Paul was saying. Don't be conformed to this world. Let your mind be transformed. Be transformed. In other words, it's something that has to happen to you. It's not something that you can do. As a matter of fact, the transformation that Paul is talking about, come, the word he uses that's translated transformation, the Greek word is metamorpho. And it is the word from which we get our English word metamorphosis that talks about the caterpillar turning from a caterpillar to a butterfly. That's radical change. It doesn't transition. It doesn't just become a caterpillar with more or less hormones and more or less hair. It becomes something radically different than it was before. It doesn't transition. It is transformed. And so what he says to you, you need to be transformed. How are we transformed? He says, by the renewing of your mind. What is that? Well, Paul says in, in Romans chapter 8, he says what you need to do is you need to set your mind on the Spirit. In Colossians, he says you need to set your mind on things above. In Ephesians, he says you need to be renewed in the spirit of your mind. In the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says you need to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. You need to keep your mind there. As Paul explained in 2 Corinthians 3.18, using the exact same word that he uses here, he said we need to look with the Lord to the Lord with such a focus that we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as from the Lord the Spirit. If I fix my mind on Jesus and I keep my focus on Him by reading His Word, by looking in His book, but if I spend my time on Facebook or on TikTok or on all these other things, then my mind is going to be shaped by something else and I'm going to find that I adjust my life to fit the culture rather than allowing the Lord Jesus Christ to transform my mind and my heart and my life according to his truth. So first, I'm to lay my life down at the altar and say, Lord, here's my life. You use me as you want to use me. Make me your fuel. Let me be broken and spilled out, used up, consumed for you. Second, Lord, you shape my mind and my heart according to your word. So a sacrifice life, number one, a submitted life, Number two, number three, a surrendered will. He says, you need, let me just read the verses again. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Other translations read, so that you may prove the will of God. The Phillips translation reads, so that you may prove and practice the will of God. The Amplified Bible reads, so that you may prove for yourself. The word used here means to prove or discern by testing. So what Paul is telling you here is that your will must be surrendered to the will of God for your life. And how will you know it is his will for your life? By doing by taking steps of obedience, by taking the first step and then the second step and then the third step. When you go to 
if you ever go and if you have gone to the furniture store to shop for furniture, if you're going to look for a chair, you need to sit in it. If I find a recliner, and I've had a couple across the years, and one of the things that's essential to me if I'm going to find a recliner, it's got to be long enough. If I get a, some recliners, my legs stick out about that far. They almost come to mind just too big for them. I need one that fits me. So when you look for a chair, what do you do? You sit in it and you say, well, that's, that's pretty good. That's acceptable. I, that, that one might do. Uh, it's acceptable. But you have to sit in it first to find out. Also, you might shake it a bit because the way they make furniture now is not the way they made furniture years ago. And you might shake that chair and you will say, two or three years, that'll fall apart. You've got to shake it and try to find out if it's good. You don't want it to just be acceptable. You want it to be good. You want it to be quality. And so you find out it's, 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 it's not only acceptable, it's good. It, it might do. And then you sit in a few more and you find one. I find that recliner that... That, that Richard could sit in and go right to sleep in it. And it is just perfect. It's just like Goldilocks, you know. It's just right. Just right. It's perfect. Well, that's what Paul says. That's how you prove the will of God. You've got to try it on for size. You've got to step into it. You've got to surrender your life to it. And as you do, you'll find, and this is good. Not only is it good, it's quality. Not only is it quality, it's perfect. It's perfect. Nobody but God could have done this. Nobody but God could have put me in this position. Nobody but God could have given me this assignment. Nobody but God could have done this for me. But to find out, to prove it, you got to do it. you got to step into it. So there's a few things you need to do based on the mercies of God, based on the fact that God loves you, and by the way, he would never give you anything but his very best. Never, ever. Never put you in any place but in a place that was best for you. Never call you to do anything but that which would give you the greatest joy. First, a sacrificed life. Broken, spilled out, used up for him. Second, a submitted mind, not conformed to the culture but transformed because I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus by keeping my eyes and my heart in his word. And third, a surrendered will that says yes and steps forward by faith. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that there would be someone here today who would hear your call to yield up their life to you. Maybe there is someone here who has said yes to Jesus and is a believer but has not made such a radical step as to yield up all to you. But today you are calling them and they hear you clearly asking you to make these commitments and these adjustments in their life. If there is a person here, Lord, who's never trusted Jesus as their Savior, I pray that today would be that day for them. The day that when they would see he loves me, he cares about me, he has a plan for me. I trust him. I will follow him. He died for me. Oh God, this is such an amazing message, this gospel that we preach. So today I pray that you would draw people to yourself by the power of your Holy Spirit. 
in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?